From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Emily Arnson. This is your news for Tuesday, October 17th. A solar eclipse recently passed through southeastern Utah, an event that small towns in San Juan County have been preparing for for over a year. The town of Bluff was anticipating up to 20,000 tourists to visit for the astronomical event, but the actual numbers fell far short of that. This is Steve Simpson, owner of Twin Rocks Trading Post and Cafe. I suspect it was somewhere between 500 and 1,000, but the mayor of Bluff seemed to think that there were going to be 20,000 people, and I'm sure there were not nearly that many. In the weeks leading up to the eclipse, Bluff's mayor, Ann Lepinen, told the Salt Lake Tribune about eclipse tourists, quote, don't try to come here. Erin Nelson, owner of Canyon Smokehouse and the city manager of Bluff, says the mayor was just doing her job to keep the town safe. Jennifer Davila, president of the business owners of Bluff, says there's no way to know whether the mayor's comments affected the number of people that came over the weekend, but she says, I think the word has gotten out well that the Navajo people weren't really wanting a big showing us being as close to the reservation as we are. All Navajo Nation tribal parks were closed for the eclipse for religious purposes. Traditionally, Diné people don't watch or celebrate the eclipse and instead stay indoors until the eclipse passes. There was quite a lot of press leading up to the event explaining these cultural sensitivities. Some restaurant owners were skeptical of the number of people that would actually come to Bluff, despite the hype. Simpson says he decided to play it safe. We frankly decided how much we could afford to lose if it was a bust. And then we sort of scheduled things around that, thinking that we would limit our loss and, you know, also limit our gains. We had a surplus of food, but, you know, it was not extraordinary and it certainly was not catastrophic. Not all restaurants were as cautious, though. Nelson says she hopes her distributor will take back her surplus of takeout containers. But as for the extra food she ordered, she'll have to keep that. She ordered so much food that she needed to rent a trailer freezer. This is Davila again. Saturday was was busy for the restaurants, I believe. Um, You know, the other days we had kind of anticipated heavier traffic starting Thursday and going clear till Sunday. Saturday during the actual event, we we were we were busy in town. But other than that, it was kind of just a normal weekend for us. We have another event coming up this weekend. So hopefully people will be able to store and adjust inventory and orders for for the upcoming weekend. Sylvia Taylor, manager of the Bears Ears Education Center in Bluff, says they brought in four extra staff members from out of town to work during the weekend. Plus, we spent over several hundred dollars purchasing glasses, eclipse glasses, and the main expense was the staff time. Probably 40 hours total, if you count, of staff time preparing for this. That, that's at least a couple thousand dollars in labor. I like to be prepared but not waste time. And I know we can't be perfect, but I'd kind of like to know why that happened. San Juan County was anticipating big crowds based on the flood of tourists in Wyoming during the 2017 eclipse. But Simpson says these events aren't really good comparisons. Some of the astronomers I spoke with said, well, this is an annular, so it's not quite like a total eclipse. An annular eclipse doesn't produce the same dramatic effects of a total eclipse when the sky gets completely dark which could be a reason why southeastern Utah saw fewer tourists than with the total eclipse in 2017. For more information about the effects of the eclipse on small towns in San Juan County, check out today's show notes. University of Utah professor Amos Giora discusses the developing situation in Israel. Amos lives in Jerusalem and spent 20 years in the Israel Defense Force and now directs the S.J. Queenie College of Law's Bystander Initiative. He was in Jerusalem during the recent outbreak of violence. 
Last week, he discussed the situation with KRCL's Lara Jones. This interview was originally published on October 10th. We live outside Jerusalem. We spent on Monday, we were twice in the bomb shelter. On Saturday, my my kid, my part of my family was in the shelter eight times. One of my kids was in the shelter once today. Yeah, but you know, I mean, it is what it is. I have a kid in the IDF and the Israel Defense Forces as we speak. Are we safe? Yes, uh, but yeah, I mean, I feel safe because we have we have shelter in the house. Wherever you go, there are shelters everywhere in Israel. The rocket firing is a reality. Um, obviously, what happened on Saturday, primarily on Saturday, part of Sunday by Hamas. What you want? War crime, war crime, magnified every which way on Sunday. But there are obviously lots of questions post. I mean, how did this happen? There are failures in every which way. What led to this is a more profound question. Obviously, where do where do we go with all this? What lies ahead? Who are going to be the responsible adults in the building? How will this play out? There are innumerable questions, but I think there are two important things to put on the table. One, what Hamas did on Saturday is every adjective you want. Those are there are those who are referring to it as the new Holocaust. The fact that people are they're shooting people point blank range, um, including children. There are 150 hostages. 100, 150 hostages being held in Gaza. Something like that. There are more than a thousand casualties. I think by now it's twenty. I mean, thousand dead. I think by now there are twenty five hundred plus wounded. There are people who were executed. They were captured in the kibbutz and then they were executed. Um, there are women, elderly women, and there there are two eighty five year old women who are in captivity. There are children in captivity. I mean, those are war crimes, and Hamas needs to be held accountable for it. The other question which is no less significant, is in addition to the intelligence failure and the obvious Israel Defense Forces failure, without a doubt, is how we got to the situation where an entire population group, the southern flank of Israel, was abandoned by the government. The government has failed. Government has collapsed. State institutions aren't functioning at all. And the blame for that is, is lays clearly in the lap of Prime Minister Netanyahu, who's concerned only about his legacy like this, this makes no sense to American journalists. I know Netanyahu doesn't get interviewed by the Israeli media. He doesn't allow himself to be. He doesn't speak to us. He speaks at us. So in the past four days, he has spoken at us like the emperor twice. He's clearly focused only on legacy. I'm convinced he has disdain for Israel, has disdain for the Israeli people. And because of cold political calculations, the most of the uh, IDF's forces have been in the West Bank rather than in the southern flank. Which is why the communities, the, the cities, the villages, the communities that people see them in the southern flank, bordering on Gaza, were abandoned. I mean, that's why the 1,500 Hamas terrorists were able to penetrate the fence and and go. It took seven hours, I think, plus minus, before there was some kind of a response. I mean, it is an utter and total failure. But I want to begin by emphasizing this is clearly a Netanyahu's lab. So, as you write for the Tribune today online at sltrib.com. Where does Israel go from here? What awaits in the coming days? But the larger, far more complex question is how we break this endless, tragic cycle of violence, because you acknowledge the ongoing Palestinian question. You use pogrom in regards to both Israel and Hamas. Not Israel, Israelis. Not Israelis. Israelis. So how do we, where do we go? You spent nearly 20 years in the IDF. You teach a class, a terrorism simulation at the University of Utah. This has all the hallmark, hallmarks of something I'm guessing you've probably simulated in the past. So what is what is your answer, Amos? I know you don't have all so, of them, but you got an insight for us. At the moment, the emphasis is going to be 
three things, four maybe. One is the consistent aerial attacks uh, on Gaza. That will continue. Two, whether or not there will be ground incursion by the Israel Defense Forces into Gaza. Three, the 100, 150 hostages. Never had that before. And four is the international community. So President Biden is clearly giving Netanyahu wiggle room at the moment, which I understand. And the international community, overwhelmingly, but not absolutely. I even saw that in Salt Lake City, there were people uh, supporting the, the, the war crimes. I mean, I, the, no words for that. The, the mere fact that people can celebrate uh, children being killed is remarkable to me. Remarkable in, in quote, air quotes in person. The, the, the support from the international community will turn when there will be the inevitable pictures of Palestinian innocent children killed, because that's going to be the inevitable result, whether it's only from aerial attack or ground incursion, because that's the way these things work, is you get, you know, you move in and you bomb from here and you have ground incursion from there, and then starts the, the killing or unintended collateral damage of, of innocent Palestinians, and that's when the international community will, will squeeze Netanyahu. So for now, not only is Biden giving Bibi wiggle room, but there are, the Sixth Fleet is on its way here. Part of it is already here. I think that's in order to send a clear message to Iran, my take, that don't turn this into a regional war, believe this Hamas-Israel, with the understanding that Iran plays a clear role in, in Hamas. How much was Iran involved in this? One day we will learn. And the the fact that there are you know um, support in Paris, Bonn, London, um, wherever else, that's nice. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't happen often. But I don't think any Israeli leader worth um, a quarter of his weight puts too much stock in that because it, these things, you know, change dramatically. You know, even if you send the even, even if you send the ground forces in and you you kill who you kill and you whack who you whack, you're not going to occupy Gaza. And at some point, you're going to have to withdraw from Gaza, and then we'll be back exactly where we started, which is indeed, um, as I wrote in the in the trip, that as difficult as it is, as difficult as it is, at the end of the day, there will be a need. Or to sit around the table. It'll be uncomfortable as hell. It'll be uncomfortable because we have to be polite on the radio, right? It'll be uncomfortable. Having been at that table, it'll be very, 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 very difficult. That was University of Utah professor Amos Giora and KRCL's Lara Jones. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, October 17th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6 p.m. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.